Good morning. It's really good to have you here with us. We're going to get into God's Word right away. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 18. And you know, as we do this, I just want to prepare you for this. This is an easy message for you or for me to go, boy, that person needs to hear this. Or for you to even do the nudge to the person next to you. And uh, what we really want to do is before we even look to someone else, we need to be open and honest with ourselves. The word of God is like a mirror to us. It needs to show us, shows us who we are as it shows us who God is. And so that's what we want to cultivate here this morning is more of what about me? What about my heart? And how is, how is God working through this? Because here's the reality. Uh, I need to hear this. <laughs> I need to hear this. This is very true in my own life. And uh, the reality is, it's very true in our world. Our world needs this message. You need this message. So as we go to the word of God, let's, let's really open up our hearts and ask for an open heart from God as we're reading his word. Paul is uh, talking to us and he's calling us to be a unified church, uh, as he called the church in Philippi. They got their uh, roots started in Acts chapter 16. And uh, out of their humble beginnings, that was all about persecution and suffering, He showed a picture of what it could be like with people holding firm, counting Christ, the greatest in their lives, the most, the first, the best, and everything appraising everything else as rubbish. And that's really how it needs to be with us. It's it's so that we do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, we count others as more significant than ourselves. And he continues on with this theme of, of making Christ your everything and then and then loving people the way Christ loves them. In Acts chapter, excuse me, Philippians chapter two, let's 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 start reading. It says, "Therefore, verse twelve says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The key passage that I want us to focus on that I think Paul really hinges everything on is is verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. And we're going we're gonna to find out why this is so important for us to do this. Why it's, it's like um, when we drink a glass of water, do we want it to be pure? We trust our water system pretty well here in the United States. So we'll go to a drinking fountain and drink it. Or we'll open up a, a bottle of water. And since it says purified, we'll drink it. And we'll trust it. But if I took just one drop of that contained an amoeba and put it into your glass of water and I served it to you and I said, hey, most of it's really good. 99% of that drink of water is pure water. Just that one drop in there is an amoeba. Would you drink it? Hello? No, you wouldn't. 
See, what he's after is he's after an environment that's pure and blameless. Children of God and that reflect who God is in our lives. And, and we've got to go, we're never going to be perfect, folks. But that's our goal. Our goal is that we would be pure and blameless. And the key thing he's going to address here is a critical spirit. A critical spirit that, that grumbles and questions. Not just questions like, why, why do they do that? But questions like, why do you do that? In other words, I know a better way. And you're not doing it. And so he's going to call us into that because here's the thing. It's all about the work of God. The work of God is what he's, what he's all about. And wherever that's going to take him, that's why he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because Christ was everything and he wanted to live Christ. And therefore the work of Christ in his life, he was willing to sacrifice and put up with whatever it took so that the gospel could go through. Because the work of Christ, the work of God in his life was, was what he wanted happening. And that's why I said, I want you to know that what has actually, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because he was arrested, and in that environment of being in prison, he actually led guards to Christ. So how, so you're God of the universe, and you're going, I want those guys to come to me. How am I going to do that? Paul, we'll get him arrested. Because I can count on him that wherever he goes, the gospel is going to come out. Can God count on you for that? Wherever you go, we are so infatuated and I I love parts of the American dream, but we're infatuated that every day must be better than the day before and God must be against us if I have a bad day. And I'm sorry, that doesn't go with the biblical picture. It's that wherever we go, God is working and it's the work of God. We need to be open and available. And and, uh, so, so this first part, he's saying, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Look at verse 12 there. What he's saying, and now some people go, and a lot of scholar, uh, scholarly time, if you read through a commentary on, on the book of Philippians, will be spent, what does Paul mean? Work out your salvation. Salvation's not by works. Why would he say that? Does this really mean that people can be saved by their works? And he's not saying that at all. You've got to read the whole Bible. You also have to read this even in the context of the book of Philippians. The key picture here is this is the work of God. We need to be actively working out the ramifications of what the gospel means. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by coming here. You're not saved by being good. You're not saved by you thinking that your good deeds outweigh your bad and therefore God owes it to you to to save you. No, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags to Christ. Because the, the picture of Christ is he did everything for us on the cross. When, when we trust him, we stop trying. We stop trying to please God. We trust that Jesus was pleasing to God. We trust in his work. That's what saves us. But we're saved to good works. We're saved in order to be people that the gospel just isn't dead end in, but that it moves through. So we work it out with fear and trembling. And I love those two Greek words, phobu and tromu. Phobu, of which we get phobias, and it's the Greek angle of us, our fears. And tromu, which we get tremors from, a shaking. And what does this mean? Does this mean God's up there and goes, you better work out your salvation, or I'm going to zap you? No. No, this is a picture that we are part of the work of God. Folks, we are God's plan A. There is no plan B. And we're part of God's work. He's going to pour his power. He's going to pour it through the Holy Spirit. He's going to pour his wisdom and his strength. He's going to advance his kingdom through us. That ought to make us go, whoa! The God of the universe.
universe chose me to do this. I'm going to be active. I'm not going to be passive. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's another hinge to this, another angle to this. And that is when God works through me, I definitely, definitely realize it's not me. When he's working through me, I just go, wow, this is far beyond me. I, Hishma could not have planned this one. This was not in my mind. This was all of God. And that gives a humble respect and, and a trembling before that I could be used. Little me could be used for the work of God. It's also telling us about the work of God, that the work of God thrives in people who are active. People who are active, we're called to work out our salvation. We're not called to passivity. We're called into activity for God. And we threaten the work of God when we're passive. We do. When we're passive. Now, I've been in churches for a long time. And I've been in healthy churches, which I believe this one is. And I've been in toxic churches. And I've heard the excuses of why people are passive with the work of God in their lives. I've heard them uh, even from an angle of non-belief where they just go, well, Christians are all hypocrites. And folks, we are far from perfect. We are imperfect people. This church will never be perfect as long as I'm here (laughs) and as long as you're here. Because we're imperfect people following someone who is perfect. And we can't use that excuse of Christian. We're following someone who's perfect, but we're far from it. And we need him. We need to be working out the ramifications of this gospel of grace in our lives. But it calls us to be active in it, not passive. Not passive, just receivers of God. This is what you can do for me. But rather, God, what can I do for you in your kingdom? And we threaten the work of God when I am passive, when we are passive. That's why we've got to work out their salvation. And I can just say this. There's a lot of reasons you can give for why you're passive. Some of you think, well, I don't know God as much as Joe does. And I don't read the Bible as much as Joe. So I'll just watch things happen here. And I could say, sorry, that's not a biblical picture. People believed and they engaged the work of God right away. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Attach yourself around wiser Christians than you and grow in this area. But engage the work of God. Don't be passive. Some of you have been hurt. You've been hurt by your church. Some of you have been hurt by even this church. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is far beyond me or a personality. This is about the work of God in you. And, and you've got to be able to call that and move on. You need to be able to forgive that, whether it's a, a loss of something, whether some folks, you've got to be willing to do that in order because the work of God is too important for you to be passive. And I would say this, it just doesn't talk about the environment of church. Some of you are in marriages and you're just passive. You're just passive in that marriage. The work of God in your marriage is too important for you to be passive. Some of you have children and you're passive spiritually with those children. So you bring them here to church and say, you do it. You raise my kids spiritually. Sorry, transformation does not happen in an hour and a half a week. Transformation must move into the home. And we want to come alongside parents and equip you for that role. But if you're expecting the church to be the primary spiritual force in the lives of your children, I'm sorry. We cannot be, you are already that force. You cannot be passive. When you're passive, you threaten the work of God in the lives of your child. You're passive at work. 
You're not going to stand for what's right. You're not going to follow Christ. The work of God is threatened in your workplace. Folks, we've got to be active people. And this, this is kind of like a, a domino effect. Uh, these, these four principles in this passage. Once we move to inactivity, guess what we start doing? Once we no longer work out our salvation, we just kind of watch. Kind of put it on battery and let it drain for a little bit. Then move right into the next thing. We start grumbling and questioning. Look at that. Look in, look in verse um, 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Remember in verse 3, it says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. Here, this is kind of a play on words. He goes, now do all things. He's talking about being active. Underline all things. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. I love this. I love this. The Greek word for grumbling is gongusmon. Isn't that a great word? Someone's complaining in your home or on the car. Stop your gongusmoning. You know, it's just that thing. It just wells up and understanding. What is this? It's grumble, grumble, murmur, murmur. That's what it's, that's what it's a picture about. And it says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. Now, now lights in the world. Let me just say this. So many Christians think it's what happens in here is that's important. No. No, this is playing church. We're playing church. We're, we're doing different exercises and we're disciplining our lives around the word of God and of worshiping God through, through music and through, through prayer. But that's when we become the church. It's when we walk through those doors out there and we go into an environment that is crooked and twisted. And, and God's word is saying, in that environment, so many Christians want to, you know, batten down the doors. No one else. We are going to be the holy huddle. No, it's saying, go, that's where you go. That's where you live. That's where you are. And you do. That's where you are. Be the church. And it's calling us to stop this grumbling or questioning. And I love this passage because before I studied it, it just sounded like it stood on itself. And I would go, okay, that's what I'm going to memorize. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. But the reality is Paul draws back all the way in the Old Testament. Because there was a people of God who grumbled and questioned everything. They're called Israel. And there's three times that um, we see this in the scriptures. And the three key times was right in the midst of the work of God in their lives. Okay, so God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he delivers them, over a million of them, come to a place called the Red Sea. You may know this story, okay? And, and they get to the Red Sea... And they go, now what? And they look in front of them. There's a big body of water. And they look behind them. And guess what? Pharaoh's army is pursuing them. So what do they do? Do they say, Lord, this is a great opportunity to trust you. We're going to get down on our knees. and We're going to pray. Just as you delivered us out of Egypt, you're going to deliver us out of this problem. Let's just pray right now. No. They got gusmoned. And they said, oh, no. Why would God deliver us only to kill us at this point? We should have never listened to you, my paraphrase. We should have gone back. We should have, God should have never done this. They questioned the work of God through their grumbling and their moaning and their questioning. What did God do? Opened the Red Sea. 
What did they walk on? Dry land. What did they see happen? Pharaoh's army get crushed by the waters as they went there. What did they do? Did they continue to grow in her faith relationship with God? No, they got hungry in the wilderness. Here, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day would guide and direct them. A physical presence of God. What do they do? Gungusmond. And they started saying, we're not, we're hungry. At least we had scraps of food back in Egypt. Why would God let us starve out here? What did God do? Manna in the morning, quail in the evening. I mean, the, the, the carnivore as well as the herbivore were satisfied. What did they do? Well, they got to the promised land. And God said, this is the land. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. I promised this land. Look at your history, Israel. I promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, you. Go send 12 12 tribes because I want everyone in your tribes. I want everyone to have a personal experience where they can go back and report to their clan and say, this is the land. We should take it. Send 12. They sent 12. They came back. They said, this was really good land. It's everything God said it would be and more. Ten of them said, but we shouldn't take it because the people there are really big and they're terif- we're terrified of them. We can't do this. Two of them said, we should do this. God will do this. What did the people do? Gunkusmond. Look at it in Numbers chapter 14. They said this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept all night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become like a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do you see this grumbling and complaining and questioning? At the end of his life, Moses wrote a song. It's, it's detailed in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And you would think at the end of his life, you know, it'd be kind of like the end of a pastorate in a church. And you go, I'd like to thank everyone for being so nice to me and for trusting the Lord. And as I go to be with the Lord now, just want to thank you for being a great church of faith. Do you know what he writes? He said, God is our rock. He is pure. He is our power. He is our source. You have grumbled and complained. He called Israel this in Deuteronomy 32, 5. He said, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And, and so drawing on that from the Old Testament, Paul now says, do all things without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and that you live in a crooked and twisted generation where you shine as lights in the world. He's saying, you know what Israel was like? Don't, don't, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Now, you know what your history is with a critical negative spirit. You know that. You know, some of you walk in here every week and it just is something you've gotten into a pattern with. You know what's wrong here. And that's what operates. And I'm just going to be honest with you. 
We can't do all things perfectly. So in this, and I know behind the scenes, okay, there's always going to be something that is less than perfect here. We can't come in here with a picture of what's wrong. We can't be negative because the work of God thrives when we are positive. And I'm not just talking about, you know, John Tesh songs with lots of rainbows and things like that. We're talking about being a positive influence for the work of God. When I am a positive force and not a destructive force, the work of God thrives. When in people who are positive, that's why Paul calls us do all things without grumbling and questioning. Because here it is. We threaten the work of God when we are negative. Do you see what happened to Israel when they questioned the work of God? They were passive. They, they, they took themselves out of the picture. We can't do it. Okay? So God said, no, I'm going to take another generation that's not crooked and twisted. And we're going to take the promised land. And they did. We're not called to be that. We're called to be the church. To be people who are positive and not threatening the work of God when we're negative. And you know what? I've seen a lot of excuses on this and I've used a lot of excuses. I've used the gift of discernment. I've used the excuse for the gift of sarcasm. But then I realized that's not in the Bible. No, we're not called to do that. We really aren't. And as I look in in the mirror, I'm committed to excellence. And that's, you know what? Sometimes my commitment to excellence can make me a very critical person. And you know what? I have no right to question the work of God in the life of another believer. I have no right. And neither do you. Some of the areas that have divided churches, I mean, are just so petty from paint colors to furniture to cross placement to music. I mean, sorry, but but folks, there's no such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. Really, we've got to get beyond that. How many churches have been divided because of some people believe that God just started his creative juices with the birth of Michael W. Smith? And others feel that he stopped with the birth of Michael W. Smith. And we've got to stop this. We've got to see that God is alive and active and that no one's going to be happy with, not everyone's going to be happy with song selections, but don't go and and make comments or have hold thoughts towards anyone up here or be critical towards anyone up here because I can guarantee you We do a lot of work on the heart of our musicians and we are dedicated to their hearts and cultivating a heart of worship. Don't pound on them because of the beat. And if you want to, don't be passive. Take a look at Bill Horn's blog. He does one every week and he explains why he chose the songs he did and what God is doing in his life. Move out of passivity into... And you know what you'll do? You'll start preparing your heart to worship. I've trained my heart that I will not choose one style that I will put down the anchor and say, this is how I will worship. I will worship in every environment I can. It has been good to my life in my life that I grew up with hymns because I still enjoy the hymns and I sing the hymns and I call us to sing the hymns from time to time. And I'm glad that I've not said we will only be contemporary. Okay. I, I will, we will not be that. We will be as God leads us in our, in the, in our, our worship team that we have. And I will worship 
Because it's about the work of God. It's not about my comfort. This is not about entertainment. This is about worshiping God. And we're going to call you into that. And we've got to get over our little things that make us negative. Some of you wish I preached in a different way. And you know what? I hope I grow and become a better preacher next year than I am over the course of, you know, than I am today. But you know what? I'm working with what God has given me right now, his word and the skills he's given me. And I'm doing the best I can with the time God has allotted me. And you know what? I, folks, there are always probably better orators than Joe Hishma. This is the work of God at Fellowship Bible Church. And, and I need you to cut me some slack from time to time. As you'd want me to with you. Why? Because this is the work of God. It's not my preference. It's not my preference. It's the work of God. And we're called to a greater purpose than my little preference. God has far too much for us that we would squelch it and we would be a threat to it with negativity. You know what? God has far too much for your marriage. If you're negative here, folks, you're probably negative there. If you're negative there, you're probably negative with your kids or at work. Folks, this just spills over. The work of God has far too much for us. That we would get caught up in a negative spirit, a critical spirit of grumbling, gongusmoning, and questioning the work of God in the lives of people. That's really not up to us. We have to trust that God is working and call people to that. Let's keep reading. Verse 16 says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the second such occurrence of the day of Christ in the book of Philippians. And the day of Christ is that future time when Christ will return and restore all things to himself. I mean, if it's anything, those things which we which we value are, are in deemed so important to us, they're going to either evaporate, melt, or burn up, or they're going to turn to junk. And we're going to see what lasts. We're going to see that it's God, his word, and people. And he's saying, at that day, I want to know. At that day, I don't want to run in vain or labor in vain. I I want my life to be faithful. See, the work of God thrives in people who are faithful. People who are faithful. The work of God thrives when we're faithful with God working through us. And, 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 and likewise, we threaten the work of God when we're fruitless. When we're fruitless and we step away and we go inactive and we go critical, we become fruitless. Jesus spoke, perhaps some of the strongest words Jesus used on his earthly ministry were to a fig tree. When he cursed the fig tree, because it had the leaves of a fig tree, it had the tr- it was a fig tree, but it was not producing figs. And I think that the same thing is true in our lives. When we step out and go passive, when we go negative, when we become fruitless, the work of God is threatened with us. I, I want to be someone who over time, it doesn't have to happen every day, there's that picture of things that last in my life. There's a a better picture given to my wife and to my children and to my church about the things that last. 
about God, his word, and people. And you know what? I think if you could see the clarity of the scriptures this morning, and I think you would agree with me. I think you'd really say, I want my life to matter. When it gets to the end, I don't want to labor in vain. I don't want to run in vain. This is something I want to count for Christ because he's everything. He's everything to me. And so we're called into that. We want our lives to be fruitful, don't we? But we've got to be faithful. There's got to be that pattern of trusting God with these areas in our lives where we're, it's not a, a unfaithful where we just sink into ourselves and we question, and we grumble, but we're faithful. We're faithfully trusting. And then it says this, it says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of what he means by a drink offering. When the priests offered up a burnt offering, it was um, burning, right? So that was hot. And they would pour a liquid on that, usually wine. And what would happen when you pour something on a liquid on something really hot? A vapor would go up. It would vaporize. And it would go whoosh. And it was a physical reminder as the priest did that, that the offering was going up to the Lord and it was acceptable to the Lord. That's, what he, that's how, he would, how, he, how he would do it. And what Paul was saying is, you guys are that offering. You're that sacrifice to the Lord. Your lives are being sacrificed for him. I want to come along, and with my little sacrifice, I'm, I'm in prison in Rome, and I'm suffering for the Lord there. You're suffering in Philippi together. We want to do this together and, and sacrifice so that God would be pleased. And we need to rejoice in the work of God through us as we sacrifice because the work of God thrives, this is the final one, through people who are sacrificial. It thrives when we are sacrificial with our lives, where we give our lives away. And this is another key that just shows the whole picture of working out our salvation with fear and trembling because whenever we talk about in the American culture, we need to sacrifice, everyone freaks out. What? What do I got to lose? My lifestyle? No way. My lifestyle is hurting already. We're in a recession, Hishma. Yes, your lifestyle. Your position. My position. You don't know how much education I use. You don't know all the years I put into my... Yes, your position, if need be. My ego? Yes. Let me think. Yes. My opinion, yes. My preference even, yes. Folks, we're the body of Christ. It's the work of God through us. Ultimately, you're not going to agree with everything. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to trust the work of God and not move into a grumbling, critical, questioning posture in life. And that's going to require us to make sacrifices. The work of God requires sacrifice. Why? Because we follow Jesus. What did Jesus do? Sacrificed. What did he come to do? To be served or to serve? To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Who do we follow? Jesus. That's what we do. We sacrifice. And I want to tell you, every time I've sacrificed something that mattered to me, I feared. I feared, what is God going to do if I really give him this? everything that was important to me because there's this thought and it's a false theology in my life that says 
I can do this better than God. Things are better under my control than under God's control. Things are better used for my life than they are for the work of God. And it can show itself in debt. It can show itself in overspending. It can show itself in materialism. It can show ourselves in hobbies, whatever, you name it. Those things that rob us of the work of God in order that we'd be self-absorbed. And the word of God is calling us away from that. It's calling us into a sacrificial life. I remember I, I grew up in a fairly wealthy family and I really feared what would happen if I went into the ministry with me and finances. I was pretty materialistic. And I remember um, the fear I had of, boy, I, I mean, I grew up in some churches that just treated their pastor like, you should be the lowest paid individual in the history of this world. And so I remembered I, I had to be willing. I said, I don't, I got to trust God for you to work here if I did this. You know what? God was faithful. Do you know that the elders of this church look after my needs and I trust the work of God? In them. I don't set my own salary. They do. And they take care of us. I remember when we built this church. And um, Cheryl and I wanted to. Um, we wanted to double what we gave. For three years. And we sat down. We prayed. And we really felt the Lord would want to do this. And so we did. And we wanted our kids to be a part of this. So we sat our kids down. And they were really young at this. And we were wondering. Are they too young? But we started sharing this. And then my middle son, Jack, went and took um, Mr. Turner. Jim Turner took him out for dinner uh, one time. And uh, Mr. Turner said, so guys, what are you thinking about the new building that's coming up? He says, well, Mr. Turner, we discussed it. We prayed about it. And this is what my parents are prepared to do. And uh, can we count on you to do the same? (laughs) It was classic. It was classic. Okay, check, check, we'll, we'll be leaving now. But, but it was, you know, we didn't do it bragging or arrogantly. But you know what God did is he took that fear of financial provision away from me. There used to be a huge stronghold. And if I keep out of check, we'll continue to be if I don't keep my eyes on Jesus. And whatever sacrifice we made is more than just, I mean, I look around and I see the lives that are being influenced and changed and I go, worth it, worth it, worth it. See, in a hundred years, when we're with the Lord, if you've trusted in Christ, he's going to show us in 2011 when you bought that new car, here it is, here it is. That little hobby, oh, you put, there it is. What lasts? What lasts? Only what lasts. God his word, and people. We need to sacrifice to promote the kingdom of God, to proclaim the word of God in the lives of people. The gospel, folks. Because we threaten it when we're self-absorbed. We threaten the work of God when it's all about me. And you may never say those words, it's all about me, but your checkbook would say it. Your daytimer would say it. Your thoughts would say it. And the self-absorbed, just look at the domino effect. You become fruitless. You become negative. You become passive. All these are reciprocal. 
When our lives are around that, that's why the word of God is calling us away from passivity into being active, away from negativity and being positive, a positive force, away from fruitlessness into being faithful and away from being self-absorbed into being sacrificial. Just recently, um, we cut down on our cable bill in order that we could could uh, adopt two kids at Children with a Hope down in Dominican Republic. And we just said, hey guys, no more sports channels, no more this, we're going really basic here. You know what, they, they said, okay, for two kids, right? Yes, great. Do I miss that? I miss Sports Center. I really do, but I get over it because it's two kids. It's two kids. Was it worth, yes. Let me think, yes. No, no. We can sacrifice, but you have to take that fear and trembling and trust the Lord and allow him to work because God is at will and he wants to work in you for his good pleasure. He wants, we want to be a church that he takes great pleasure in. And we have to do that through sacrifice, time, energy, and resources. That's the picture we're called. So I'm calling you away from criticism and into being a positive force. Why? Why? Because it's the work of God in you. In you. And God has far too important work in you, in your marriage, in your home, in your place of employment, in your church, than for you to be on the sidelines throwing rocks. And we've got to discipline ourselves. In the spirit of 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we need to be willing to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ in order that we can be a positive force here. We're calling you into that. You will always battle with this. You will. But you will do better in it as you train and discipline your minds and your hearts and your words to be positive. And you will realize how critical you are when you try to do that. Okay? Because you realize, I said that? When you really take attention and say, Lord, I want to trust you with being positive around here, in my home, at work, in my church, you you will be amazed. Wow, I used to think like that. God wants to do far more. And you will see, folks, you will change no one with criticism. Does it work in your marriage? Honey, I'm really disappointed in you. You fell short of my expectation. You're negative. It's crazy. And did she go, wow, thank you so much. I'm going to be so positive around here. Thank you. You've changed my heart. No. Around the foundation of love. Around the foundation of love. And and you speak positively. You speak life into your spouse, into your children, into your church. And that's how God uses and transforms us. Right now, we're going to celebrate communion. And as we do this, we're going to pass out two representations, two physical reminders of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us for the forgiveness of our sins. If you believe and have trusted in the work of Christ, um, we want you to celebrate this. If you haven't yet, and we understand there's a lot of people who come each week who haven't yet trusted Christ, you are welcome here. And we want you to hear. There's no other place on a Sunday we would want you to be than here. We want you to hear this so that you can consider the claims of Christ and by faith trust him. If this morning was that first morning where it made sense to you and you put your faith in Christ, trust in Christ and you stopped trying, and it's not about your works, it's about his completed work on the cross, 
you can come to this table. Today, if you by faith put your faith in him, come to this table. If you haven't yet, watch. Just watch. And it's my prayer that as we take this, it would make sense to you. And in the future, you would put your faith in Christ and you would take this. Another thing that Paul says that we need to examine our hearts, not just for salvation, but for things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And I know from the word of God this morning, there are some things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And that is a negative, critical, questioning heart. And here's what we need to do. We need to go back to that event, that thing that was said, that hurtful thing to you, and you need to confess it to the Lord. Lord, this has been bothering me. And I trust you with it. And I confess my heart to you. And I'm going to commit to be a positive force for your ministry here. I have to do that many times. This is what it is. Because what I do when I confess it, God says, well, I want to work with that. Because this is about all my work in your life. We need to be willing to do that. We need to stop hiding behind these gifts of discernment and step up and be active and love the command that Jesus had given us to love him and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Confess those. And we're going to take some time as we hand these out. Music will be playing. Pray to the Lord. Confess any of those sins so that when we take these together, we can do this as a unified body, serving the Lord, celebrating the work of Jesus Christ. Hold on to these elements so that we can do them together.